0: Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. So Tom Humanek has been my friend for quite some time now couple of years. And when I came up with the concept to do this podcast, I knew that he was somebody I wanted to have on an episode. It was just a matter of time, um, getting each other together and sitting down and doing one on waterfall. But I gotta say, um, he's been hunting, you know, 10, 10 years or so. And he's kind of guy that can really convey the information or explain things. And I just knew I needed to talk to him when it became time that I wanted to hunt waterfowl. So I hope it's helpful for everyone. And uh, here's the episode. Okay, I'm sitting here with uh, Tom Humanic And we're going to talk some ducks today. And geese. It's a waterfowl episode. So, Tom, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit. Tell me how you got into hunting.
2: Uh, Tom Humanick, Been hunting since about 2010, um, got into heavy public land hunting, which was, um, it was fun and interesting too, but, um, had a couple of guys from college that I met introduced me to the, to the sport. And, um, it's just been crazy ever since it's kind of taken over my life and, um, can't be happier. Two kids married, um, a lot of spare time goes to waterfall hunting and then in the off season preparing for it. So.
0: Okay, sounds good, man. How's your year been so far?
2: Good, really good. I um, I, as far as numbers wise goes, not the greatest year, um, but a lot of ducks. And I think if you ask most waterfowlers, if you are going to choose between ducks and geese, they're going to say ducks. So I usually we're geese heavy here in northern Illinois, and um, I tell you, we had that big cold, uh, cold front. <laughs> push in October and it pushed so many ducks down and we just, we got on them, we got on them hard early and, and then it warmed up and the geese didn't really get down. They're starting to trickle down now. So it should be a good January, but um, so far so good, but I, I've had, had better years.
0: Um, so with, with that uh, and you know, numbers being good early on with that cold and stuff like that, how's your year been as far as um, hunting? I know there's, I mean, early on there was a ton of rainfall, a lot of fields were flooded up. Uh, especially when season started and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it, did that affect your ability to hunt, or did it possibly make it better? Because I know a lot of farmers didn't take a lot of stuff out.
2: Yeah, it, it's um, it really the story kind of starts in May when we had them big rains, uh, May and April, and we just the farmers in this area did not get the crops in like they usually do, and um, that led into uh, I think a they started planning in like July. It was late July, even some in August. And it was, it was bizarre. Um, and then right around the start of the season, we had a big rainfall, which prolonged them getting the crops out. And it was kind of interesting. It really benefited the hunters who had a lot of, uh, locations because the birds were only hitting the fields that were out and there was not a lot of fields out. So, um, kind of interesting. Um, Kind very very interesting year from uh, the where the farmers were planting the seeds to when they were trying to take it out. Rain really affected this year, big time.
0: That's pretty interesting. I was talking to another guy that I uh, interviewed and, and listened to another podcast too, and they were talking about how it had like three hundred percent or two hundred percent over their annual precipitation for the year, yeah. and uh, they they're wearing like waders. And standing in corn that's standing and, like, using <laughs> that as a blind. Like, you see the guys hunting down in the swamps and stuff like that. They're hunting like that, and they're coming into that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly think the first six hunts we did that, we uh, there's a, a low spot in one of the fields we had up in Aurora, Illinois. And we cut probably about a, I don't know, 20-yard by 20-yard hole. We chopped the corn down. Farmer doesn't know, so don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we, we chopped the corn down, and we were really nice. And we were visible, we We're and uh, the ducks Worked us nice, man. And it was kind of cool because it was something we'd never done before. Um, but that was the only way you could hunt. It was, it was bizarre. It was absolutely crazy.
0: That's pretty interesting, the way things mm-hmm. panned out. I actually got to go out for my first time. Um, didn't get an invite from you, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, maybe, maybe I will next year. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, but I, uh, I did go out and it was kind of interesting. Uh, we took it out, we took the boat out and we went out on the river and, uh, when we were hunting, we, you know, hunted off a point on like an Island. And, um, it, it wasn't the river I wanted to go on. Let's just put it that way. But it was like the first run on the boat. So it's kind of like, keep it close to home test run type thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, when we set out the decoys, my well, I didn't even have waders yet, you know, I'm still kind of working on that. But my buddy had the waiters, and he went out and he set up the decoys for me. I kind of tossed them out to him, you know. But he's setting them up and he's telling me, you know, like set them up in like a U shape or a V shape and kind of keep it open in the middle so it gives them a spot to draw on and that's your point, your, your focal point of where you're going to be, you know, focusing your attention. Um, what, like, is there a rhyme or reason to any of that? What uh, typical setup and do you... Diversify. I know this is a huge-ass question that I'm asking you here, but, I mean, do you, like, uh, set up a bunch of different decoys, or are you always kind of, like, <coughs> going after what you want?
2: Well, you know, let's just take your example for being on a river. Um, and, and even if you're in a field, it's the wind. The wind's going to determine how your decoys are set up. You probably heard your friend talk about a U-shaped. He's wanting he's wanting the U to kind of define the landing zone, and it's no different when you're in a when you're in a field. Um, but I tell you, one thing I do like to do when I'm hunting water, is, especially for ducks, is use a lot of geese decoys, and especially on the far end, um, kind of use the ducks where you think they're gonna be landing, but have the, have the geese kind of establish your wall around that U-shape. I use the U-shape a lot. Um, I'm typically not one to just throw the ducks out, and just let the birds work. I, uh, I, I, I wanna work that wind. And, um, and typically, a lot of duck hunters kinda of shy away from them hunts where there's not a lot of wind. Um, wind is a huge factor in duck hunting there's no doubt.
0: So what is the wind, uh, or, I mean, are the ducks going to fly a certain direction in the wind, or is it going to be just the wind gets them up and moving? Are they going to go to a spot that is established as like a feed area or something like that? How does yeah. that work?
2: So the wind, and you, made a, you made a good point there, the wind will pick them up, they'll get them off the, you know, them bluebird sunny days, they ain't going to want to get off, so the right. wind picks them off that water, there's no doubt about it, but it makes it so that when you're hunting, it is a designated landing zone. Is it, to to explain, um, you know, say say you're you're looking out towards the river, the birds are coming from the right, and the wind is blowing right to left. You know, then the, birds, and I know I know it's gonna get a little complicated here, but they're gonna want to swing you and land right in front of you. Um, so your decoys are gonna and it, it, it'd be easier, Luke, to draw it up on paper, but you kind of have to envision where, you know, the birds are coming from, what direction they're going to be flying at you, and what direction they're going to want to work in, and that all is determined by the wind. Um, it, it's very, very simple so much as that a plane wants to land into the wind, right? And just like up. how, a, yep, they, they want to use the wind. It's very challenging for them to land. In fact, it's very rare to see them land against the wind. They almost would fall, you know?
0: So if you know a direction they're coming from, that's fine because they still may cross over you, but they're going to turn or circle most likely and come into the wind. So you want to set up your spread and play that to where you've got an advantage pointing
2: at them when they're locking up. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, when you're in the blind, you, you can, um, shift the shift your hunters around you you know where they're going to be landing and it, it it it's it's good for a lot of different reasons Decoy set up hunter orientation in the blind um where your blinds at your boat blind might have to turn a little bit on the shores to, to favor the wind in the landing zone so it's all it's all goes into the prep work knowing and into and we have to think it's not just knowing the wind, but it's a lot of it's knowing where they're coming from. If you have a huge reservoir five miles east, you got it. You got to you got a plan for them to either they're going to be coming and landing right into your spread, or they're going to have to loop around and work your spread a little bit. And in that in that case, you probably want to beef up your decoys a little bit.
0: So when you say beef up your decoys, because I see, you know, I mean, I know the state limit, which I don't exactly know why, and maybe if you could touch on that for me, because. Um, I don't understand why you have to have a minimum of a dozen decoys, but um, you've kind of talked a little bit before we started this interview about uh, using a lot of decoys and why, but can you tell me a little bit about all of that?
2: Um, It's confidence. I think, you know, as I grow into a more experienced hunter, I think the right decoys are the, the most important thing. Sometimes, sometimes I don't, I, I like to use if we're, if 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 I know we're going to be seeing teal, let's not put out the Canadian geese this time. Let's work teal. Let's get some wood ducks. Let's start thinking early season. Let's get some bottle-looking ducks in there. Some black ducks. Some. But if it's late season and you're and you're dealing with um, maybe some divers, maybe some mallards, maybe a pintail, a, a, a canvasback, you're going to want to you're going to want to change your decoys up to. to so the birds can identify when they're flying around, um, to touch on, to touch on the, the, the limit, the, that rule in law was established because of PETA, believe it or not. Um, oh. PETA would go and occupy a lot of the public land spots and they would sit in there. So Hunter's couldn't go in there. So, the law states i believe it's a dozen decoys
0: yeah it's a minimum Um, i think of a dozen yeah and and one of my buddies was telling me that and i'm like no way man are you serious yeah and it's like okay so i gotta spend x amount of dollars just to use a public (laughs) land blind but it makes sense now i mean you know if you say it like that but so most i'm sorry go ahead no no yeah
2: i'm sorry Um, most hunters have 12 decoys so it's not a threat to them but um decoy orientation and spreads wasn't as big of a deal to me early on in my waterfall career, but now it's more, it's strategy and it's more analyzed and it's, and that just comes with experience and knowledge and knowing what I'm going to see. If I'm working divers, I'm not putting mallards out. I'll put the Canadian geese out, but I'm going to make sure I got some white backed decoys out there. Some, when I say white backed you know, um, basically white looking decoys, canvas back, blue bill, redhead, some, some, something that adds some variety so they could see it. It's, it's a lot of experience and knowing what's in your area and the temperature and the weather and what time of the season it is.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, I, like the only reason I thought that was because if I was going to take out my canoe or something like that, I was going to put, um, you know, just like throw a dozen decoys in there or something, and get out. And I was like, man, I don't want to have to put more.
2: You know. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that that's definitely it. And I, I tell you what, you start to see a lot of hunters. You know, I I hear this all the time. I'm selling my big feet. I'm selling my big feet. I'm selling my feet. Well, why are you selling your big feet? Well, I'm, I'm upgrading the Dakota, or I'm upgrading to Avian X. And I, and I, when I first started hearing that, I go, "You guys are crazy!" You know, bigfoot decoys; those are those are great decoys. But when you put a bigfoot decoy against an Avian X or a Dakota, there's a huge difference. There, there really is. And I don't think I don't think waterfowlers mind spending a little extra money to get the get what a good looking professional spread looks like out there.
0: I think I'm going to go the other direction on that, though. I'm going <laughs>
2: to... I'll spray, uh, spray paint some milk jugs. It, here. It, so. <laughs> yeah, I know, and you talk to the guys who've been hunting for yeah. sixty years, and they used to spray milk jugs. It's it's all preference to believe it or not, but yeah. I they make these decoys so nice, it's it's almost impossible not to spend an extra thirty bucks and get the best looking decoy. You know? Right.
0: So okay, I got another question for you. Then um, there was a guy. I saw, I don't know, I think it was like a social media post or something like that. And he was, I think he was on Lake Michigan in a kayak. And he had like just a single line of V leading out to the kayak. And I mean, mm-hmm. is that like a realistic approach or what? Yes,
2: yes. If you're diver duck, d- diver, duck hunting or uh, going to be getting into some old squaw or some, some, uh. D- uh you probably would see some canvas back out there, but blue bills you'd see out there for sure. They travel in a line path. So that's a typical line. And It's funny you say that because when I was first starting waterfall hunting, I said the same exact thing. Why do we have six lines? And um, hmm. that's how that's, that attracts the diver ducks when they're, when they're in and, and that's usually typically how they sit. So um,
0: okay.
2: good question. Really Thanks. good question. Good that's observation.
0: A, yeah. Um, so then you're saying it's it's all confidence for the, like, uh, how when you, when, like, I mean, you see some guys that pull out with, like, an entire trailer, like a cargo trailer full of decoys, fill up a field, and that's just, like, a commercial type hunt, if you will. Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And
2: they're, and they're doing that because they're not on the X, per se. You know, the geese, um you know, when we're up in Aurora, typically most of the geese are on the Fox River. And,. Let's just divide them in thirds. A third of them are going and hitting this field northwest of the river. A third of them are hitting it southeast. A third of them are hitting just straight south. Um, What you try to do is you're waiting for them to pass you. And when you have a lot of numbers in your field, it looks like it's a a big gang of geese feeding. And and, and, and you, you absolutely need it. If you are not hunting the X, you need a lot of decoys just to get them interested because it's very hard to pull them off their spot they've been hitting for days or weeks at a time.
0: So, okay, that's that's a good way to talk about that because it transitions into my next question then. So is there scouting or something like that involved if you're oh, going to yeah. do that? Or how do you yeah. go about
2: that? Absolutely. I mean, if you're in these high-traffic areas like Braywood or Aurora, or, 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 you typically don't have to do the amount of scouting we used to do back in the day. But um yeah, there's times you'll catch me on a, on a Sunday morning grabbing a, a coffee and going to taking a ride, seeing seeing where they're at. And um, what I'll do is I'll get a map and see if I have a field in between where they're roosting and where they're hitting and seeing if we want to go out and attack them. Um, sometimes it's it's good, and sometimes I just don't have the field, and we have to go to a plan B,
0: okay. So when you're talking about like Bravewood and Aurora and places like that, uh what's what's the reason behind that? Is it like a a major public rest area or something or what what's, Yeah, uh... well
2: I back in uh back in the mid eighties when they built Bravewood nuclear station and LaSalle nuclear station, then Dresden was still there. Um and then you had the Fox River. The, a lot of geese in, in Waterfall used to travel right through this area, but these nuclear power plants changed everything for the Central Y Zone, so much so that the southern states wanted to have—it wasn't a lawsuit. I don't want to say it was a lawsuit, but it was a very high-level complaint that they were trying to get ComEd in the nuclear stations to put hydrogen bombs out on the lake to blow off— um and get some of the birds to get the hell off the lake, like so the, propane,
0: start... uh, the propane, the <laughs> yeah. propane blaster things.
2: Yeah, so they and I'm not kidding you. They literally were doing that. They wanted them to get down to Arkansas, where the big dollar hunting was going on, and it was for years in southern Illinois it used to be a huge duck and goose hunting area, but um, early '90s when the geese discovered these power plant lakes, it was like a wall, and they stopped. And they didn't go much further than this area. That's why, and in the past twenty-five years, this is the goose capital of the country. Make no mistake.
0: So that would be something to do with the temps of the lake because they never freeze, or correct? Okay. Yeah. So correct. It's, it's, it's warm enough to where they're not icing over. They can have water, and they're staying there.
2: Yeah, these. Uh, it's just like it's just like you know. So we, me, just my location. We hunt a lot of suburb pond lakes and that's just what we do a lot of these birds sit on these suburb suburban pond um areas and 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 we go and try to see where they're going well when they freeze it's it's over for us and then we have to go to the bigger the bigger lakes like uh LaSalle or Braywood and they never freeze and they consolidate there and there's times where there's 200 upwards of 250,000 mallards and uh geese on that lake and it is it's really something to see it's Holy something to cow. see watching them yeah i mean it is something that people would only dream about it's amazing hmm.
0: so um what's your experience hunting those type of areas then i mean do you typically still hunt like a bravewood lake or something like that or is it kind of you know, or the river you know,
2: yeah you know it's uh when we landed our first two pip lines out at Braywood, we thought it was the absolute greatest thing in the world. But I soon found out that, you know, we were out there and there was a group to the east. There was a group to the west. There was a group. There's a lot of pressure out there. And that's where the numbers kind of helped us because we had a lot of decoys but I would only go there if I knew it was going to be chaos. And when I mean chaos, the birds weren't exactly sure what was going on and what changes that is snow, snow for goose hunting and duck hunting in Northern Illinois changes. Absolutely everything. It's yeah. It disorients them. It makes them, it makes it look like one big blanket across the landscape and they are not sure where they're at. So when they see these decoys that are sticking out perfectly, um, they work you and they give you a chance and that's where calling gets involved and that's where your spread strategy works. And, um, and also how well you cover. If you're in a pip line, you're, you're, you have a huge advantage. If you're in layouts, not so much. Why is you're sticking that? out. You're just, you're, you're elevated off the natural landscape. You're using typically uh, white tarps in the snow. It's just, it, it's difficult to hide five, six hunters out there. Um, at least I feel so. I feel, I feel it is, um, others may not, but, um, I've always felt that when you're in layouts, you're a little bit behind the eight ball and you got to really take a lot of time to brush your blinded and make it look really good.
0: That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your ideal hunt then? I mean, snow, cold weather, timber.
2: And I, uh, I honestly, there's nothing more that gets me more excited than working an ice line on the river. Um, on a snowy day, you get snowfall coming, it's cold temps, you're in the waders, you got the boat, you got the goose floaters, the duck floaters, but also you're working the ice line. You got some shells, some big feet, um, century decoys standing up on it and it just looks so sweet. And when they see it, they work you, they work you hard. And, um, I have a hard time deviating from that. (laughs) man. I also I've had the privilege of going down and hunting in um, Arkansas, flooded timbers and rice fields. And that's a lot of fun, too. But I um I, 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 there's nothing better to me than shooting birds over water.
0: I agree. That's kind of I don't know. I I haven't really done a whole lot of it, but it seems to me like it just when you talk waterfall, it seems like there should be water and fall. Yeah, that's one of them did, things. But
2: them them corn fields and bean fields, they just they burn you out after a while, man. It's uh, you wanna you wanna see some challenges, and that's a river. A river brings some challenges. There's no doubt about it
0: is that what you first started haunting them was the river or?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right there in uh dust plains, blind, uh, five, six, 20, 26, 24. Those were the ones that brought me up and man, we, we didn't know much and that was okay. That's why the state puts these spots out and, it allowed us to learn what what was a waste of time and what was the really time to be out there, um, how to work a spread, what decoys you want at certain times of the year. Um, and that's what's so important about public hunting. It gives people who don't always have that opportunity a, a chance. Um, I, I can remember one time where... And this is going to sound crazy, but I think this is probably our first or second year when we didn't have anything so much as a, a, a old pool raft that we had to go in the garage and blow up the night before. And it was one of the yellow and blue banana boat ones, and <laughs> and that's what that's what we did. We laid our guns on there and our our, our twelve decoys or whatever the hell we had. And, and I remember us pulling, and we just had fishing waders at the time. We we're freezing, but that was when I learned the, that was when it was fun. That that, that was the good times (laughs) when, when we got, if we just saw one duck work us, it was the greatest (laughs) thing in the world. You know, there's sometimes I want to come back home and kick the dog when I'm not getting my limit, but then I always have to reflect and say, Hey, I I remember them times when we didn't have a, we, we didn't have a clue, but we were learning and, Next thing you know, we shot a mallard, and next thing you know, we got a beautiful canvas back. And and we, and we really built our built our, our our archive up with some great experiences that allowed us to be tremendous hunters, man. It's, it's, so how, it's awesome.
0: How long did it take you uh, before you got your first duck then?
2: It, it wasn't the first year. The first year, I got nothing. And I'll never forget this. We had six geese come in at 10 yards. We shot at all of them and none left. I dropped it as the last day of the season, January 31st, probably 2010. <laughs> um, the next year, I didn't get anything. And it wasn't until the year after that where we had a group of ringnecks swing hard left on the blind, cup up hard on the right, and we shot two of them. And that was my first duck, and I still got that picture. And, um, what's that was a public that was at actually Mazonia right off Braywood Lake. Um, but it took a little while. It took a lot of hard work and, and that's what, that's what's so, um, it, that's what makes this whole thing so great is because it just wasn't handed to us. We, we went through some growing pains to get where we were at today. And it's fun.
0: Nice. So when you say we, you mean like you and your, your duck hunting crew yeah or,
2: or... yeah me and my buddies um we've got probably a handful of guys i hunt with consistently and um we all kind of were in on it together and we we were post we went to college played football and we're kind of like well what's next let's try this stuff <laughs> we didn't know what to do you know what well, what's next and we we took up duck hunting and this is right before the robertsons came on the tv and and that was a whole nother story in itself dealing with that effect. I mean, that was a big deal. What
0: when, do you that mean, show, that effect?
2: when that show came out after that, there were duck hunters everywhere. And there was times in the first couple, one, two, you know, probably first three years where there was no one out there. It was just us. And then when that show came, next thing you know, there was uh that blind was filled, that blind. So everyone wanted to be like them. And, hmm. um, you ask people who were around that time. It had a big, it had a big. <laughs> the effect. Duck Dynasty effect. It really does. I truly, to that's this day, stand by that. Yeah.
0: I wonder how many of them fizzled out, or are they all still hooked? Because
2: <laughs> it's, it's a, if they're anything like me, they're probably still hooked.
0: That's a good thing, I guess. I mean, yeah. anytime, and I know it sucks, and that's, you know, trying to going, man, my public land is already crowded don't really want to see more people out there, but at the same time, I mean, you really got to think if you don't get those people out there, you're carrying the whole burden of carrying this thing forward. And you need those people to carry it forward, to do the funding, to do the conservation efforts. And that's like, I bought, well, I didn't, well, technically I bought two duck stamps because when you sign it, it ruins it. And I wanted to start collecting them being that Last year I bought one, didn't use it. Somebody told me they were going to take me duck hunting. I'm not going to name any names, but um, <laughs> so this person said they were, I bought one, didn't end up going. That was all right. Cause I hunted my ass off that year anyway. Didn't an elk hunt deer hunting too. And I was probably burned out. I, I probably couldn't even handle going, but um, so like Sam Solhalt did the thing where he did the stamp it forward and he bought stamps. And then you buy a T-shirt or something. And he sends you another one. So I ended up with three duck stamps this
2: year. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I'm trying. What, is it the Mallard this year? I don't even know. I, I'd I got have to them look. sitting. I'd have to look. I got so yeah. many of them. And I save them all to myself. But um, it's actually the license. And what I used to do is I try to go get what was on the stamp. And uh, there's a couple of years I was the The eye. I got it. The Canvas back. I got it. The wood duck. I got it. Um, Canadian goose, I got it, but uh, I think we had a swan in there and then there was a couple other weird yeah, I don't think we're going to go there. get a swan <laughs> No, no, I'm not I, um, no <laughs>
0: <laughs> So let's talk about uh, you, you mentioned calling earlier um, and I, I'm sure there's a, probably more than we can even unpack in this, uh, in this episode, but I just kind of want to know how do you know what you're supposed to be calling or, um, are you identifying a bird and trying to do a distinct call or are you doing like a generalized something as they're coming over your spread?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk geese first and then we'll go to ducks. Um, geese, I feel like are a little bit more responsive to the call. It, it, it it entices them a little bit more, not much more, but a little bit more. Um, they're easier to call in my opinion. Um, they have the hail call. They have more of like a grunt call, like a like a um, like a whine call that kind of brings them in at the end, and then they have like a comeback call. Like, uh, and I can't do it. I keep trying to think like i would <laughs> <I don't laughs> have, to mouth it, call. but um, it's more of an obnoxious call, which kind of gets their attention when they're flying away, maybe deter them. Ducks, um, you have your feed call. You have um, your your welcome call, your greeting call. And then you have a, more of like a distress call too. Um, diver ducks have a little bit more of a different sound to them. It's more of a growl. Um, the mallard has the best call by far. It's the, the traditional duck call. Um, pintail, widgeon, they have a more of like a whistle along with a teal and a, a wood duck. They have a t- kind of different note, but um, kind of a long answer to question multiple ways to call different ducks um as you grow and experience you hear them and you learn about them and that allows you to know what to call them a great story i was hunting down with these guys in the boot heel of missouri so right um right on the arkansas border and um he owned a an outfit out there that we'd go hunting and he would tell me him and his brother would go and sit out there at nighttime and listen what the mallard sounded like on a full moon and listen what the pintails sounded like and listen what the lichens sounded like, listen what a teal sounded like. And I thought that was awesome. They had they had the ability to do that. They owned a lot of acreage down there. And um, when they would get the birds rolling through, they would they would listen to them. They'd hear what they sounded like. And, and that, that was one of the best stock callers I've ever heard in my life, hands down very good duck caller and they make their own calls too so
0: so a word to the wise if you got some private property or place where you can go sit at yeah, night
2: yeah listen yeah. right or even if you want to go if you really 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 want to get into it youtube utilize technology i mean they can they can tell you what what uh how a hen reacts to a male drake call or vice versa you know it, it has an effect on them but i will tell you this as far as calling goes um, I am not a big fan of calling too much. I think overcalling will screw you. I think it, um, unless you're a very good caller, it's not going to be as effective practice as you think it's going to be. Dude. A lot of people get so excited when they see the birds. It's the first thing they do, they're, you can see them fumbling around on their land. You're trying to find the right call. Um, but I'll be honest with you your location in the way your decoys look to them is 10 times more important than how you sound because most of the times they're not really able to even hear you till the end.
0: So speaking of fumbling around on your lanyard, um, you got any bling bling on your lanyard? Well, and I, by bling bling, I mean, <laughs> you got any bands? And did you get any this year?
2: You ask any of my friends, anyone. I am always not there for the band. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a shame. Um, have I been on many hunts with them? Yeah, absolutely. And typically, I, uh, um, I like to I, it That's that's a complicated question because I've seen some the worst out of people get get browed out of people when a band oh, who shot. Well, he's on the left side, but I shot at the right side. It, it kind of brings the worst out of people because it is the trophy. It is no, there's nothing better than shooting a band. And I, um, I'm typically the one that kind of goes hide in the grass. They the conversations. I, unless I <laughs> damn well know I shot the thing, you ain't going to see me getting, uh, ruined in my Sunday afternoon over a little piece of metal wrapped around That's, the leg.
0: See, cause I, yeah, I don't get the whole thing of it. And I think it was actually like Steve Ranella or somebody who said, um, And I don't even know, I don't remember if they were talking about bands, but he was talking about an elk and shooting a collared elk or like a mule deer. And Mm -hmm. the way he put it was, somebody already got the best of that animal. So why would he want to shoot it? And I, I mean... I guess maybe there's a difference in correlation between the birds or maybe it's just become such a status. I mean, I get why you're, mm. you're, you get to find out how old the bird is, or at least when they banded it and how long it's been flying around with that thing on their ankle and where it's been. That's pretty cool. That but other cool. than that, I just, I don't know. I, I don't really yeah. get it, but
2: <laughs> it's, it's um, it, when, when you see a hunter with, bands all around his lanyard it's like uh uh uh, like a tom brady with super Bowl rings you know (laughs) it's it's like that that's how people the hunting community looks at it now at the end of the day doesn't really matter no does it make you a better hunter because you shot more bands absolutely not because no one no one goes out and band hunts it's pure luck um you could be as unlucky you could shoot 400 birds a year every year and, and only get two like myself (laughs) <laughs> my friend of aurora shot 90 and shot seven so far so it's it's just one of them things man um it's just when you see a person with bands around their lanyard um you could tell that they're um experienced just because they've been out there a lot because it takes a lot of time to get them so you but said- other than that i i don't really get into the the band um, the
0: bandwagon nah, nah. <laughs> the bandwagon we'll call it <laughs> but uh so you're talking to your buddy shot like 90 ducks or whatever and however you know 200 a year what do you do with all the meat man
2: mm-hmm. um there's a place up in aurora we send it for like a goose jerky the ge- you know typically like i said um hunters in this year to shoot geese more so um you'll have a surplus of meat and a lot of it and we'll send it to uh some houses up in uh when i mean houses like some companies up in uh aurora and they'll pack it with pork and some cheese and peppers and and you'll have like a what looks like a deer stick um the duck now on the other hand um i take that very seriously i'm always willing to take the ducks and i absolutely love cooking for people it's kind of how i've progressed in my hunter um status I think I'm probably at the end where I I almost rather t- go out and take pictures and show people what the experience is like, and then get the mallard and and and, and um cut them up and 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 put them on the grill and, and and then that's that's where I get my most satisfaction when I have a perfectly cooked mallard, seasoned correctly, utilize the fat on the skin and and, and place it in front of someone and then seeing them saying, "Holy cow, this is this is." spectacular this is an amazing piece of meat nice that's Just, why we do this luke you know what yeah, i mean I it's, do. it's you know a lot of people lose sight of that and um my message to them is to to rethink that
0: that's my daughter today asked or yesterday asked me daddy can we have some deer steaks and so i yeah. said sure got them out last night put them on the Traeger uh today and i had hand trimmed venison steaks and as I was trimming it, it was one of them things. It's like everything was coming back to me all the way from, you know, the haunt. Because I mean, obviously I know the deer, the deer it came from. So I know the exact day, the instance, how the whole thing unfolded. And it was like I was reliving it as I was trimming the meat. And then to see their face and even my wife's like, man, this is really good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is.
2: <laughs> it's very good. And, and I, uh, I think that's awesome. I think that's I think that's fantastic. There's some people I know I love venison. So I there's some people I know who are big deer hunters will swap meats. Um and they love how I cook my ducks and um really really developed a strong passion in the past couple of years for cooking. Nice. It's awesome. Yeah. Very nice, man. Mm-hmm.
0: So we're about wrapped up here, but uh I gotta ask you though, you got any uh trips planned or anything like that coming up?
2: Uh Typically, every year we go down to Arkansas, do a flooded hunt, and, uh flood timber hunt, and then a uh, flood rice hunt. But um, back around last March, me and my buddies got together and said, hey, let's go down to Texas. Um, when we said that, we're like, okay, let's go to Houston and hunt diver ducks, you know, hunt redheads. And that's kind of what I want to do. But we found an outfitter called North Texas Outfitters. And I've been following them closely the past couple of weeks, and they've been doing very good. Um, they hunt a wide range of fields and areas on the Oklahoma and Texas border. And um, we're going to be getting into some pintail and widgeon and some trophy ducks, man. And that's going to be happening right here in three weeks or two weeks. Um, nice. January and yeah, mid-January we're going. And um, I'm excited. I really am.
0: So are those different ducks than what you normally get here then?
2: Yeah. I mean, you're going to be seeing some... Um, when I say pintail and Wigeon and you talk to most duck hunters in this area, that is our, that's our prize. We're so used to shooting mallards we're so used to shooting wood ducks and we're so used to shooting teal. Um, but when you go out a little bit West, like in Oklahoma, especially you're, you're going to have a chance of shooting pintails and Wigeon and to us or to me, at least that is the, the, uh, the bird.
0: So as that far be as looks bite, wise, um, would one of those be your ultimate duck then or what?
2: Uh, you know, um, it's gotta be the pintail. It's gotta be, uh, looks wise. And then I think they, they got a great breast on them. They really do. And, um, their fats, usually it's the very cookable duck. Their meat turns out perfectly. It's not a, not a typical, like, a. a lot of times you get some ducks, um, that, the, the breast is really high on one end, and it kind of thins out. Their, their meat, their breasts are typically longer. They're easier to cook. It's more like a flank steak almost. When you throw that on the grill, you throw it on, you flip it, flip it a couple times, and you're good. You're not fighting that big, fat part at the on one end of it. Um, But, yeah, it's got to be the pintail. Pintail or canvasback, I mean, those are the kings, in my opinion, hands down.
0: Nice. You're making me hungry. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm actually <laughs> hungry myself. <laughs> so what, what would be your uh, dream trip then?
2: Uh, I would love I, I, I'd i love to go to Lake Erie. Lake Erie and do the diver duck scene up there. There's uh, I know my person my, my friend who mounts my birds goes up to a location up there on the Canadian side and um, man, you're, you're, you're shooting some of the most beautiful looking diver ducks at that time of the year, the big canvas backs, the big redheads heads. And, um, that would be it. Working an ice line, got that river atmosphere.
0: So would you be in like a, like a little layout boat or would you be in yeah. a bi- yeah.
2: Um, in some cases, yes, but in some cases not, they have actual blinds near the shore that they'll hunt just like how we do here.
0: Okay, so you're not hunting, um, like, big open water on a little tiny boat. No. Little... That seems interesting to me. I've yeah. seen a few of
2: those. I don't know. but yeah, I don't know <clears> about <throat> that one either. I, uh... Big
0: open water in a layout boat yeah. with a single V of ducks. And... <laughs>
2: <laughs> How does this work, you probably saying. Yeah, a um, little bit, yeah. Yeah, but the the snowy, cold, um, that type of atmosphere is what my dream hunt would be. Nice, and I always man. will probably will be, yeah.
0: I appreciate it and uh, yeah. pretty much all the questions I got for you, but uh, it's been helpful. I think I've learned quite a bit. Hopefully the listeners learned something and uh, appreciate you being on, man.
2: Oh, thanks, Luke. I appreciate it. And, and good luck with this. I think it's fantastic what you're doing.
0: Thank you. I'll see yep. you again, man. Bye now. Be. And yeah, always will
2: probably will be. Yeah.
0: I appreciate it. And uh, yeah. pretty much all the questions I got for you, but uh, it's been helpful. I think I've learned quite a bit. Hopefully the listeners learned something and uh, appreciate you being on, man. Oh,
2: thanks, Luke. I appreciate it. And, and good luck with this. I think it's fantastic what you're doing.
0: Thank you. I'll see yep.
2: you again, man. Bye now.
0: Thank you for listening to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe. On whatever platform it is that you're listening to. Also, you can find us on Instagram at Publicly Challenged, and you can also find us at Publicly Challenged Podcast or publiclychallenged.com. So please reach out to us with any questions, comments, concerns, or maybe you'd even like to be on the show. And once again, thank you so much for listening.
1: Thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.